Welcome to Vintage Sci-Fi Shorts. In each episode, I'll read one short story from the pages of vintage science fiction magazines from the pulp and digest eras. Join me as we explore stories from a bygone era. Some are long forgotten. Others have had a lasting impact on science fiction. Stories are selected that represent interesting, compelling, or exciting examples of science fiction from the 1930s to the 1960s. In the first season of Vintage Sci-Fi Shorts, I'm reading stories from Universe Science Fiction. Universe Science Fiction was first published in June 1953 by Ray Palmer. It ran for just 10 issues, with its run ending in March 1955. It was then merged with another of Palmer's magazines, Other Worlds, which later became Flying Saucers from Other Worlds. Today's story is Death Sentence, a story written by William C. Hawk and published in issue 10 of Universe Science Fiction. in secret to determine the fate of a world, for their decision would mean life or death to an alien people. A tremor passed through the scientists solemnly gathered in Dr. Romlich's study. Dr. Belsner, the top atomic brain in the nation, clenched the velvet drapes over the lone window behind him apprehensive, lest anyone see in. Hugo Alter rocked back and forth on the edge of the leather Morris chair, a ludicrous charade of a bereft mother seen in a newsreel. Doctors Falconer, Whitman, and Lowe sat stiffly on the library bench, ranged like the three wise monkeys shielding their senses against the evil before them. Eva Lowe's clapped her quivering hands over her ears, though the chamber was silent as the depths of the sea. Dr. Romlich stood mesmerized until Alter scuffed his chair back over the carpet, embarrassed by its sound in the still room. Hugo Alter stepped up beside the senior scientist and peered at the smooth, round disc with a schoolboy's fascination. It was nothing but a flat wafer of gold about the size and shape of a railroad watch case. It was perfectly polished and plain except for two pinholes diametrically opposite. Hugo Alter reached out and passed his hand to and fro under the disc, like a magic show skeptic, the disc hung motionless in the air. Please, Hugo, said Dr. Romlick. Let's not react like high school children. The disc simply hovers in the air. No tricks. In fact, it doesn't really matter how it's done now. His shoulders sagged. Belsner twisted the drapes and continued to stare at the disc, which rested in the air 12 inches above the desktop. Are you sure there are no people in it now? He asked numbly. Quite, muttered Dr. Romlick. After our Geigers led us to the swamp where we found these discs, both floating in space, we opened one up. I'm sure they're empty now, but here's what we found inside. 
He held up a circular view of the interior of the disc, magnified 20 diameters. The group was attentively silent. Here is the brain of the ship. This control room. These cubicles appear to be cruise quarters. Studying this machine and its furnishings, we deduced it contained 15 occupants, no more than three-eighths of an inch high. They were two-legged, quite possibly resembling Earth humans. The ship appears to be unarmed, apparently was just on a scouting mission. So this is what is causing the radar blips and saucer stories. Don't be naive, my dear Hugo. We performed that distraction for the public. The variety of shapes, sizes, and forms we shot across the heavens couldn't be added up to anything, and it kept the newspaper people hopping around and away from the truth. Don't tell me you couldn't analyze our sky techniques. His eyebrows crawled up in mock surprise. Hugo blushed. I thought I had them all figured out, those lights and atmospheric tricks and all, but now this comes along and I don't know what to think. Say, this isn't another of your tricks, is it? Eva Lowe's relaxed slightly on the hope it would be. No, and I'm sorry it isn't, said Dr. Romlick. This is a visitor from space. There are the spectrographic plates we made from it and the metallurgical sections analysis. Belsner came forward from the window and studied the papers curiously. This came from Venus, he said simply. Dr. Romlick nodded. Very good. The density of the metal told you that, eh, my friend? Does the president know? How about the UN? Shouldn't they be notified? My dear Ava, what could they do? Only make an interplanetary mess of this thing. No, but I have a concrete suggestion to make tonight that I feel you people are best qualified to pass on. I want your opinions of its merit. I can stop those things before they invade us, if that be their plan. We have no indication that it is. How? demanded Falconer breathlessly. I shall send a counter-expedition to Venus. Belsmer snorted. They all knew Dr. Romlick had been nearer the answer to a spaceship than any other man in the world, but his last experimental rocket had only gone 300 miles into the air over New Mexico. That was certain, although still not divulged to the proletariat. Don't tell me you're going to lead this expedition, Doctor, Belsner sneered. Romlick remained unruffled. His index finger circumscribed slow circles around the gravityless disk with da Vinci's preciseness. Of course it won't. But I can send a force that will lick this thing if it is a thing to be licked. That is what you must decide. I have asked you here tonight to sit as a jury, to pass judgment on an unknown world. Shall we eradicate a race of perhaps billions of thinking beings, far more advanced than we on the possibility they will do us harm? And if you feel they would harm us, weigh this. Is the survival of our race more important to the universe than theirs? You must resolve that tonight. But how can you do it? persisted Belsner. Dr. Romlick produced a set of intricate blueprints and passed the sheaf to Belsner. Here is the plan of my atomic engine, which will propel my rocket and break Earth's gravity. It has been built. The atomic physicist examined the plans dubiously. At last, the sneer out of his voice, he spoke. Dr. Romlick, your integrity and ingenuity is revered around the world, but there is not enough available U-235 in this country to take a rocket weighing more than 12 ounces to Venus using this engine, brilliant though it is. A crafty smile lit Dr. Romlick's jagged features. Our rocket weighs 18 ounces, including the engine. He relished Belsner's consternation a moment before going on. Scientists in Russia, trusting my sincerity, 
smuggled out a goodly share of her uranium for this project. So your calculation was correct. Belsner was relieved, his infallibility vindicated. But that leaves you seven ounces of passenger cargo space, including the ship's shell. Even a hydrogenic warhead in that compartment would do little more than blow a crater four miles across on Venus. Good grief, cried Whitman. Don't blow up Venus. Think of the gravitational imbalance in our solar system. We'd likely get dragged near the sun. Consider the seasonal changes. Exactly, said Dr. Romlich. Then how in the world do you propose the elimination of these men? The rocket specialist fumbled in his lower desk drawer. I shall only wipe out this civilization if you say it should be done. Remember that. Think deeply. Hugo? Madame Lowe's? Reverend Dr. Falconer? I personally shall vote against this annihilation. But if you jurors decide it must be done, here is my plan. I shall propel my rocket to Venus. One pound, two ounces. The rocket will carry a head which will fragment without explosion on contact. Venus is warm. I believe it is moist. Therefore, my 200 passengers should thrive and multiply. They are descended from the army that devoured the original voyagers. I have bred them to adjust to the high temperatures of Venus. Shall I dispatch them? He held aloft a pint mason jar. Ingenious, cooed Eva Lowe's. Anopheles mosquitoes. Death Sentence is one of just two stories William C. Hawk wrote and had published. I could find very little about him. So if you know more, drop me a note on Twitter at Sci-Fi Shorts Pod. All issues of Universe Science Fiction are available on the Internet Archive at archive.org.